Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. We have a very special guest on the show, an outstanding marine protector for his local environment. He's held the line against poachers, angry fishermen, and he's silently working behind the scenes with government. He started his career as an engineer and then returned to university to study education and worked as a science teacher for 16 years. Was a dive master and coxswain running a dive charter since 1994. He became a dive instructor in 2012 and in 2014 he started Grey Nurse Charters. Welcome to the show, Tony Strazari. How are you going? Did I get your last name right? Close enough, man. And how are you this evening? Oh, I'm pretty good. Just finished actually teaching up at Nelson Bay. So, uh... Well, Tony, you've got to start off with... Can you remember your first dive? Stockton Pearl, and I think I did my first dives. One of a Shoal Bay Beach, followed by Fly Point, and then straight away after that, we went Owen up and did a uh, a double boat dive at Broaden Island. I think someone got a glimpse of a greater shark, but that was before they were there regularly, like they are now. And what is the most memorable underwater moment that you've ever had? Holy. So many. I mean, done some incredible dives in a lot of incredible places. Truck lagoon, amphibious tank in 55 metres of water. I could look up and saw um, Tony Diaz from Central Coast Dive Shop hanging on DK just below the bot dive boat because he cut his dive short. Probably the best visibility I've ever been in. Had some really good dives in Mount Gambia. I had some great dives with sharks and different animals. I've had some interesting dives in rivers. I've been bitten on the elbow by a um, juvenile bull shark. Wobby gong that I cut hook out of its mouth, spent the entire rest of the dive swimming around next to me and like a little puppy. So I've had just lots of incredible dives. Fantastic. The Great Southern Bioblitz is happening at the end of, of November 2023. You seem to be very active on iNaturalist. Originally, I was invited to join iNaturalist by some of the people on iNaturalist that looked after the Australian stuff because I used to put a lot of photos up on Facebook and as part of the publicity of what diving we were doing. Also, I was involved with scuba shooters, so I was putting photos on there. I was asked to join on Naturalist. I didn't know much about it. I sort of started putting my photos up and when I had time, I, I backdated photos I'd already taken. In the end, I started finding some unusual and interesting things and it was um, I just went from there to putting photos of diving to now animals I see in my backyard when I go travel you know, whatever I see, I uh, tend to take photos of. Beautiful. And why do you like taking photos when you're diving? It just shows you what you've seen. <laughs> so so you've got bragging rights. Oh, not just that. Look, I've got students and I'm leading dives a lot of the time and um, I tend to use when I'm, I'm working uh, just a TG6 or when I just go for a photography dive by myself. I have a, um, a Canon camera in the housing and strobes and all that. When I'm working and I've got students with me, I just have a, a 2G6 of the housing. I don't have to think and spend a lot of time taking photos. Someone's doing a dive course and you see all this incredible life and animals that are there. It's a big thing to actually be able to say to people, hey, this is what we saw in this dive. And so 
It's not just that they've learned to dive, but they can actually share the photos of taking probably of them underwater, of what they've seen underwater. And so it makes the whole learning experience of diving a whole lot more visual because you'd actually come out and say, well, I've seen, this is what I saw. I saw that and I saw that and they could share the photos. What was your first underwater camera? I can't remember the name of it now. It's this little, little thing in a housing that they don't make them anymore, but the housing was designed in such a way when the pressure got too much, the housing got squashed in or you couldn't take a photo because the uh, shoot button got squished too far away from the camera of the reach. Oh, that sounds like the first time I went night diving with a dolphin torch. Dolphin torch is the last one night dive and then and you collapse under the pressure. That's exactly right. Were you excited when you saw the photos you developed? Probably the best thing that ever happened while I wore photography was digital cameras. Taking photos with film underwater is just too frustrating. You load your camera up and the most biggest roll you get was 36. Just go through so much film and get a couple of photos that worked and you didn't have any control over the development unless you were writing the photography and drone development. So... The colours of your, you get purple, groper and things like that. So I just think the best thing ever happened with underwater photography is digital cameras came in and um, that plus Photoshop, you could blend it all up yourself and um, make sure that what you, you showed was what you saw. 36, most people delete that many these days. Tell the kids today that you can only take 36 shots. They're just not going to believe you. The standard role was 24, the the extended big roll was 36 and that was it. I've gone places and bracketed and taken, say, a movie bank, tried to get the ideal shot and taken 10 shots and thrown nine away and got one good one. So, yeah, couldn't experiment and you ran out of film very, very quickly. How long did it take you to get your skills up? Still work. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of constant practice and and even then, you know, the ocean's always changing. If you've got poor views, you can only take close-up stuff and things like nudibranchs and little fish and things that they tend to move. While other days when you've got really good views, you can look at more at pelagics and sharks and larger animals that in poor views just get hidden in the um, in the fog and backscatter when you've got good conditions. You can get photos of those sort of things. So I vary between close-up photography and wide angle set it all up for the conditions on the day do you consider yourself a citizen science and the photography that you're doing important for the citizen science movement the way i use the photos i tend to take photos whenever i dive and i think a lot of the photos i take are just showing the bog standard stuff that's always there plus the unusual stuff. You know, if I was only taking the unusual stuff, then the idea that the bog standard stuff, you wouldn't know it's bog standard. But, by, you know, having things like red moeys and rawong and leather jackets and stuff like that that you see all the time, by putting some of those photos in regularly, you're showing that, okay, you see 20 of these, oh, there's one of that, that's unusual. And it, yes, it is. What would be one of the most unusual creatures or rarest things that you photographed underwater? When I find them, seahorses. Always love seahorses, they're pretty rare. Yeah. Weedy sea dragons, another thing. We occasionally see both at Broughton and at Moon Island, but that's about as far north as they ever get. Some nudie banks are rarer than others. Ghost pipefish. I've seen ghost pipefish in Swansea Channel and at, up at the bay, but you just don't see the most. You know, you've got to go to the tropics normally to see those sort of things. I like big fish. Like, you know, there's always a buzz when uh, you get 
big fish like kingfish and bad mulloway come past. Sharks, always fun. I like rays. A lot of big rays have got a lot of personality. There's one um, big bull ray, pair of them. There's one that's got a tail cut off of called Stumpy, and it always hangs around with another one which has got an untouched power, which I call Spike. Wow. And I've been seeing Spike and Stumpy since the late 90s off Newcastle, and you go there now and you can still see them, and they'll be 40 40, 50 years old there. There's some animals you can sort of develop a... Um, a relationship with. relationship with, yeah. Just don't tell your missus. No, no, it's a different sort of <laughs> You have a, a bit of a relationship with Moon Island. What is your history with it? When I first started with a diet bag, I had um, an old shark, or well, a shark hat, uh, which we ran out of Newcastle Harbour and Swansea called Diversity. When I started that in about 1994, that coincided with them shutting the sewage outlet at the end of Swansea Channel, that beach there. They used to dump raw sewage in there. So that sort of made Mid Island not a great dive site because, you know, diving in sewage. When I started that, they just closed that and started running the pipe across the bridge, Swansea Bridge, and treated Swansea sewage at Belmont Treatment Plant. So suddenly Mid Island was diveable. And about the only thing anyone we knew of Mid Island was that they used to dive a place called The Arch. So found The Arch and yeah, it was a nice dive. And then started just exploring. The island, especially on the seaward side, has um, a really, while the island's pretty pretty boring, it's a rock. When you come out from that rock, there's um, a long, shallow, like a plateau, but that has walls all around and a lot of those, most of those walls have got big overhangs and caves and things like that. So the whole north and east and southern side of the island has got all these overhangs and caves and hell a lot to see. And the more we more we dive there, the more um, more stuff we'd find. Found some really nice caves and things like that and then sold the boat and I got out of that sort of business and concentrated on teaching. And when it's only when I got out of teaching through injury, got back into diving, that I was diving up at Nelson Bay all the time, and um, I mean, I, I shouldn't say it, but I was diving Broughton Island every weekend, probably twice a weekend a lot of the time, and even though I love that site, I was diving it too often, and I was just getting bored with it, and I was just thinking, I'd like to go back and dive Moon and all the wrecks off Newcastle and things like that, so bought the boat, and we started Grand Rest Charters with another guy, and I went back to Moon Island and jumped in at some of the sites there, and it was just like a dive that yesterday, and uh, the only difference was where you didn't see them before, we now get Grand Rest Sharks at Moon Island most, most winters, and so things had changed a bit, and I had become a lot more aware of marine life through working with naturalists, finding lots and more stuff at Moon Island. It's quite an interesting, interesting dive site. How many dive sites are there at Moon Island? Five main ones, I do. And you mentioned um, the grey nurse sharks. Are they protected in New South Wales? Yeah, they're um, they're fully protected by New South Wales law. They're starting to come back. They've become really scarce. Back in the early days of diving, there was a, a feeling that grey nurse sharks were dangerous and they used to shoot them and with spear guns because wow. they were so dangerous. It was really hammered the population. But you know, since people have realised that, one, they're not dangerous, and secondly, that they were in such decline, the protection of them has uh, sort of helped them come back. And one of the things that got me into a lot of the citizens 
sciences and science stuff was just being involved in counting grey nurse sharks, notifying when you saw them, notifying how many you saw, the sizes and things like that. Is there any other listed protected species that call Moon Island home? I've never seen more eastern blue devil fish at Moon Island. I've never seen as many there as anywhere else. I just have to say, Tony, people listening... Please look up a picture of these fish. They are absolutely gorgeous, aren't they? Yeah, they have in down Victoria, they have the southern blue devil fish, which are straight blue, very pretty fish. But the eastern blue has the, the iridescent blue, but adds a bit of yellow and a bit of white. It's a very, very pretty fish. They sort of like sitting in the back of caves and uh, places like that. Well, and is there any other species out there that are listed protected? Uh, Weedy sea dragons. Beautiful. We've had various other things travel through. We often get whales come past and things like that. Just huge variety of fish life there. And what about the sea grasses and the seaweeds? Is the the sea urchins causing any barrens out there at the moment? Doesn't seem to be as much of a problem as I've seen elsewhere. Parts of Broughton and Islands up out of Nelson Bay, there's a lot of sea urchin damage, but around Moon itself, you tend to have a bit of seagrass between Moon Island, the channel between Moon Island and the mainland. On the seaward side, it's mainly kelp. Seems to be pretty good condition. More damaged by big seas. Do you think there would be an argument to make Moon Island a hope spot or maybe a marine sanctuary certain parts of the year during the breeding season of the grey nurse sharks or something like that? There's this fishing lobby and the fishing lobby seems to be very vocal and very unwilling to negotiate and discuss things. At Moon Island, the grainer sharks come up here, they follow the salmon. When there are salmon in Swansea Channel, uh, the sharks. Grainer sharks are a nocturnal dusk and dawn feeder. During the day, they tend to like to gather together in numbers. I suppose that's protection, but they like to find a, a spot like a cave or a gusser where they can turn off half their brain and just sort circle and swim around because they're one of those sharks that actually have to keep moving to get water through the gills but uh, when they're resting they like to find somewhere that they can just sort of partly switch off and just drift around in circles and so um and like the caves off moon island have you ever seen them hunting i've seen a fish that was there and then it wasn't it was a great nurse just followed it i got bumped once by a gray nurse it was going full pelt i didn't know what hit me and it must have thrown me about two metres through the water to bump the, the diver next to me. And there was about 20 around us. And they all just, like you said, they were just sort of like had half their brain turned off. And Occasionally, they'll be, you know, when we're diving with them, they are half asleep. Every now and then, they sort of bump into each other, sometimes nearly bump into a diver, but that sort of startles them. And that's where they're like, more like a tail snap or take off in an area or something like that. Makes them pretty relaxed. Quite often I find ray nurse and they've got like tracer lines hanging out of their mouths and things like that. Most of the time I try and just get a knife and cut that off as close to their mouth as because I've seen them go along with line hanging up and fishing line some of the time when it stretches and breaks, it comes and forms a big uh, like a bird's nest of tangle. That's hanging down from the shark and I've seen the shark swimming along with catching it and it was getting quite upset and uh, I just swam up to it, cut that off and I had a friend for the rest of the dive, he just hunt this uh, yeah. two and a half metre greater shark just swam next to me like I was his best mate because I cut this thing off him and it was, when I first grabbed it it was a bit, oh, 
you know, like a bit stressed that I'd pulled on it. As soon as I cut it, you just realised what I'd done. And, uh, yeah, it was my mate for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, it swam around with me anyway. Wherever I went, the shark swam around. So it was, it was an interesting experience. Wanted a pat. <laughs> Do you think fishing people understand this? I think a vast majority do. vast majority of fishermen are interested in what's in the water, but there's a, a very vocal, very fanatical group that just seem to think they've got the right to fish anywhere, fish for anything. I think a lot of fishermen understand that if you have some protected areas, fish breed up and the numbers are greater to go and get elsewhere. But you know, some of them seem to think that they should be able to get anything they want, anywhere they want, and that uh, people like us that are trying to do the right thing and fishermen that are trying to do the right thing, there's like climate change deniers, they just think that everything's unlimited, that, that uh, they should be able to do anything they want. And what do you think would change the fishing lobby mind? I don't know if it's possible. That's a fair comment. I've been threatened by some of them. I've tried to reason with them. It's just... What about the 30-30, 30% of the ocean's protected by 2030? Do you think that's a good idea? Oh, it'd be a great idea. As far as my fishing goes, I couldn't care less if they banned fishing, but, I mean, obviously that's not going to happen. But it would be nice to get protected areas. And I think if you had a lot of areas protected for nurseries and things like that, then then there would be more fish and those other places the rest of the time. Uh, if you look at, say, WA, they have a lot less strict fishing laws than we have, but they have a lot less people. You go off, say, Sydney Beach as well, you're less likely to see as many animals as you see here simply because the population and number of fishermen in Sydney is just way, way higher than it is here. That puts more pressure on the uh, on the coastline. Would you see Moon Island being a nursery? It is for a lot of animals. It's not for sharks. It's a um, stopover point where they gather with the Australian salmon. Greater shark nursery is more like Sir Rocks. There's a lot of smaller greater sharks up there a lot of the females go up there to birth them Brighton Island you have a lot of adolescent greener sharks one and a half meters or so and they tend to hang there but then when they get big like the three meter sharks they're the ones that travel with the mullet runs or travel with the salmon depending where they're going at the north part of the coast and south and they're far more nomadic and they're the sharks that you might see down in Marimula one time and then Swansea another time or at Foddy's Cave another time. There's all these spots, Magic Point in Sydney, where, where sharks will rest on their travels up and down the coast. And in the 20 years that you've been diving, almost 20 years that you've been diving Broughton Island and, and Moon Island, have you seen a change in the species and the environment for the better or for the worse? I started diving in the beginning of the 90s, so that's 30 years. Yep. When I first dived Broughton, someone thought they saw a grey nurse shark in the distance. I've dived Broughton more recently and I've got a, had a photo with 55 sharks in one photo. The numbers are increasing, they're coming back, they're not always there. There's other places I've seen sharks. There's areas where they definitely like to gather, but you can occasionally see them anywhere. I've, most recent shark I saw, two metre grey nurse about three weeks ago at 
flight point. Oh, beautiful. I was telling my student doing her first dive how lucky she was. I don't think she necessarily felt how lucky she was. I hadn't included the possibility of seeing a grain earth shark at flight point in my dive briefing. I think it freaked around a little bit. <laughs> but then again, I said to her, well, I didn't preclude it in the briefing because that's the first time I've ever seen a grain earth shark there. So. <laughs> And do you think um, Broughton Island, because it has been part of a marine park, that's one of the reasons why there's more sharks? Yeah, because the sharks are there and because they're not being, there's no fishing there, you see less sharks with um, tracing line and hooks hanging out of their mouth and things like that. Where you've got sharks and fishing, even if people aren't targeting the sharks, uh, you'll see still see sharks getting yeah, hooks hanging out of their mouth and sinkers hanging out of their mouths and stuff like that. Well, and that's happening at Moon Island. That's happening at Moon. It's happening at Broughton. It's happening basically all up and down the coast. But uh, because the sharks don't necessarily, when they're hunting, they don't necessarily stick to those areas. So even at Broughton, where they are protected, they protect places like Looking Glass, which is a um, one of their rest areas. They don't know fishing there. Sharks will rest there during the day, but I'll feed all over the place at night and that's times I'll still get hooked. I think a lot of fishermen have changed. I found a few years ago, probably about 2013, 14, I found a dead grey shark that brought me the bullet hole in it. Bugger. And that's what some of the fishermen were like. You know, they considered sharks and seals to be competing with them. Oh, wow. Seals were wiped out at... Um, Seal rocks. Because <laughs> fishermen shot most of them. Yeah. It's just a mentality that hopefully is dying out, but there's, there's remnants of it still around. Is it only the commercial fishermen that go out at night fishing? Commercial fishermen are, are usually not a problem. They tend to go out differently and um, they don't target so much well they're better at fishing so they're better at targeting what they want to catch not by catch yeah that's right because it's more work for them they don't want the work when you get in and get out when you're after um brim or jewfish or kingfish or whatever you don't want to be buttling around trying to get an angry shark off a hook i mean that's why a lot of the big rays you see have got their tails removed because commercial fishermen will lob the tail off so they don't yeah. get speared by the ray and then let it go. And if you could predict what would happen if Moon Island was protected, what fish might increase in numbers? If you look at Flight Point, you don't see Flathead that big elsewhere. I've been at Flight Point and it's been Flathead a metre and a half long. Big, big Flathead. Now, that's the sort of thing that they're targeted, but when you have a marine reserve, those sort of fish can uh, be pretty well protected. So I've seen that in my years of diving, fish seem to be aware of where the marine reserves are. There's a sort of trust. You go into Moon Island, uh, sorry, or the marine reserves, the fish will swim along with you because they know that you're not going to hurt them. I've been used by fish as a, a handy aid because I had a camera and torches and strobes. Flooded following me for an entire night dive. It was only when I took a photo of little gold guts of Vincentia and that was the last ever seen of the Vincenzi because the, the flash went off and so did the flathead and that was uh, the last ever seen. I just thought, I've just been used <laughs> by a fish. Did it feel not too good? I was going through getting, fixing up the photo of the uh, Vincenzi and I was thinking, 
No, you know, I did. You killed. <laughs> I um at Fly Point where it sort of um goes around to Little Beach. I did an experiment once, so I got a whole lot of bread and I was taking the brim around. And I thought to myself, I wonder if these brim will follow me out of the marine park. Anyway, it got to the point where there's a line that's an invisible line, and I went on one side of it, and they would not come out, even though I had a whole lot of brim. I had the same at Nelson Bay Beach. There's um. There's a sign on the beach, marine reserve one way, fishing the other. Yeah, and I was diving inside the line of the marine reserve. There's a, a hole of flathead, and you go to the other side of the line and nothing. They seem to know it. Do you think we need to give fish more credit? Why are they so clamour? I think people are starting to realise animals are a lot more intelligent and there's a range of intelligence you know we're not the only things that can think humans are intelligent but we're still an animal there's other animals we consider intelligent like apes and uh, dolphins but other things like sharks will recognize you i mean i found when um i was diving at broughton all the time sharks just know me because i'll be there every week sharks will recognize people blue grape are quite intelligent Octopus have got a fair bit of intelligence. I was just hearing the other day that a lot of crabs and lobster have, you know, they've got a certain amount of intelligence that are a bit more able to think than we gave them credit for. Do you think crayfish or lobsters for the people in the southern, um, northern hemisphere, do you think they have a symbiotic relationship with other species? Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, well, I found there's a, a three way relationship, and this is from experience seen. You have little overhangs where you get them is octopus love lobster. Octopus just love grabbing, grabbing a lobster and pulling apart an idiot. But no one likes eating octopus more than a wobby got. And I've seen plenty of times uh, you've got caves and things like that. Even fish rock cave, uh, in the deeper parts of fish rock cave, there's two things. There's lobsters and there's wobby gods. And the same thing happens here. I've seen a uh, roof off Merriweather and I've seen uh, lobsters walking all over the top of wobby gulls. I'm not sure whether it's the lobster seek out the wobbies because that's protection from octopus or the wobbies seek out the lobster hoping that they'll attract octopus. But either way, they seem to be together and um, pretty happy being together. I mean, I think most things walked on top of a, a uh, would walk over a, um, a wobby gong at your own risk. But these lobsters didn't seem to bother. They were sort of standing on its head and walking along the body. So uh, I think there is a, a some sort of relationship there, but I don't know which side started it. How much time would you need to spend underwater to understand these relationships. I've done you know, 4,000 odd dives and you see things once or twice and then you see the, you know, it keeps reinforcing it. Like even something simple like numrays. Some numrays you see with little black feather leeches on them, some you see without and some you see with up to eight or nine leeches on them and you think, well, if you've got that many parasites on you, you've got to be you'd have to affect your health. But you see numrays that are really big, fat, healthy-looking numrays covered in leeches. And just times where I've been sitting along watching these numray leeches wriggling around and a fish goes and bites the leech, gets zapped by the numray through the leech, and then the numray just slips over and eats the fish that got stunned. And you think, well, leech may have been bitten, but the leech is now getting the benefit of what the fish just ate. The fish has got benefiting because it got food thanks to the leech. So I was just wondering, is that a relationship? 
but exists. <laughs> it sure is. Do you explain these relationships to your students? People get into diving most of the time because they're interested in what's down there. I'm taking these people for their first dives, and there's a lot of things you explain, like blue groper, the blue wrasse their way of life cycle where they all start off as these little yellowy small fish and as they get bigger they go reddy brown color and they're female and you know how they then become male and the top echelon animal in in that area um so i explained that and nudibranchs and all the weirdness of nudibranchs and uh flatworms and yeah, just try and give students the idea of what they're seeing underwater. And are you optimistic about the future of our ocean? Reasonably, yeah. I've travelled a bit because, you know, the opportunity to travel in Asia and things like that. You see most, a lot of places in the world, they all seem to be making a big effort. I mean, uh, plastics is a big issue and it's not just Australia where we're getting rid of plastics. Vanuatu is way ahead of us getting rid of banning all plastics, drink straws and everything because a lot of the island nations and Asia, that hadn't from a history of, they didn't have plastic. Like what they did was, you know, they had woven leaf baskets and stuff like that and we had but you just chuck them so just palm loops when plastics came in people tended to do the same things with them which has caused all the issues in the oceans and everything like that here there and everywhere else and i think we're starting to get better at well most of us are starting to get better at not doing those sort of things plastics is more a um, pet hate if there's glass <laughs> in the water i just look at it all it's a habitat gobies for instance love funnels they make it a home and things like that and what's a glass anyway? It's just few sand, but plastic's dangerous. And bottle that's in 20 metres of water, no one's going to stand and cut their foot or anything like that, and it'll get covered in growth. But plastics are just plastics, and they'll stay plastics. Metals and glass, ceramics, they just get, they're just basically rocks. They'll get buried and covered in things, but plastics are, yeah, they just stay there. They're insidious. That's right. We really appreciate everything that you've done for the environment. You're what we call a silent achiever out there in the world making a difference, and we really appreciate people like you. Any final words that you have? I just encourage anyone that has a passion for the outdoors whether it's diving or bushwalking or you take photos share things i mean science has limited budgets to go and do field trips all the time but there's so many people bushwalking every day of the week if you use things like iNaturalist which is a pretty incredible platform to share what you see and I've seen it in the time I've been using it probably the last 8 to 10 years where you put a picture of a fish up and you'd have to basically tell it what it was 99% of the time now the AI recognises what that fish is their systems are getting a whole lot better you know you can quickly see when you put an observation in sometimes you'll see oh that observation is the most south or the most north or it's an unusual spot. You can tell things that are pretty common and things that are, are rare. I've just found last dive uh, a top of Christmas tree worm to Nelson Bay Beach. I've never seen it before. It looks like the Christmas tree worms that you get in the tropics, sort of. It's 
slightly different shape, but uh, I've sort of researched another guy who does a lot with iNaturalist. He's got a photo in Sydney of something that looks like a Christmas tree worm as well. These things haven't classified. They haven't got a species name. We just think, well, they look like a Christmas tree worm, so they're in that genus. So many things still undescribed. And when you're looking at stuff, um, you can go and find things that have never been seen before. There's divers around here that people like Leanne Atkinson and Dave Harasti have found new species. I mean, these are just ordinary people that just dive and they've gone and found something completely new. And that's what the big explorers were doing when they were visiting Amazon and South America. And we can find stuff that's never been seen before. When there's so much stuff out there, it still hasn't been described. Well, it sounds like the bio-blitz is going to be good at the end of November. Still more to find under the sea. I just love diving, looking and poking around and finding stuff. Now with digital cameras and especially some of the things like GoPros and TG6s, I mean, they're not incredibly expensive. It's not like some of those people with $5,000 camera setups. You you get a reasonable camera, $3,400. If you want to dive deeper with it, you can get a housing for another $300. So it's only $700. And people can go and they can take really good shots of stuff and make scientific observations. Get you in the game. Well, thank you very much, Tony, for coming on the show. And if anybody wants to find you, it's Grey Nurse Charters on the website. Is that correct? Yeah, au. We're just always putting photos up of what we've, where we, where we dive and what we see and things like that. Beautiful. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.